Amen and amen. Well, good morning. Please stay standing as we read God's word together. This is Romans chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Reading God's word as a congregation is so important. Amen? It's the word of God, supernatural word coming to us as we hear. This is verses 1 through 4 of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Lord, short passage, big truths. You are the God of all grace. You give us grace. And oh, that we might understand it. Lord, that we might understand the grace that you have given to us. I pray over that in the lives of Christians in this room, that they would not scoot past this doctrine of grace but that they would internalize it. They would receive it. They would grow thereby. They would understand their union with Christ Jesus and the hope that is in grace. And Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not yet know Jesus as their Savior. They're in their sins and still lost. And oh God, would you reach them by grace. Lord, may they see the grace that is greater than all of their sins. Past, present, future. And may they trust and repent and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for their own salvation. Lord, may you do it. May you speak to us. We need you. God, give us that grace that we're going to be talking about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, welcome. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, and we will be studying verses 1 through 4 together. My name is Josh. I'm the preaching pastor at Living Waters. Our fall sermon series is titled, By Faith. And we have been studying through Romans chapter 4 through 6. All fall, it's been great. My sermon title this morning is this, By Faith, We Understand Grace. By faith, we understand grace. Now, what is grace anyway? I would refer to it as a gift. It's a gift that you receive that you may not think much of at the time, but as you begin to understand what grace is, it is the gift that will literally change your life forever, okay? If you have received a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, some of those gifts are forgettable. But some you remember forever. 
And God's grace is that gift that you remember forever, if you truly understand it. Now, grace defined is the unmerited favor of God on sinners or God's favor on the unworthy. And all the unworthy people in here say what? Amen, Amen, right? God's unmerited favor towards the unworthy. Some people have used an acronym to describe grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You ever heard of that before? God's riches at Christ's expense. I think it's a pretty good acronym for sure. Great songs have been written about grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's other hymns like grace greater than all our sin, grace upon grace, grace on top of grace, which we just sang this morning, your grace is enough. And Micah Tyler just came out with a new one last year called I See Grace. Just the other day, uh, I got a grace gift from someone in our congregation, a lady called and said, hey, pastor, we want to take you and the pastors out for supper. Would you be available? And I'm like, me and food and free. That all sounds really good. Amen. I should probably check and see if it's free. (laughs) But what is that? That's a grace gift to our pastors. And we didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's just an amazing grace gift that someone in the congregation is giving us. And we get to eat food and celebrate God's grace. That's good. Paul in Romans 5 has been talking about this abundant grace, the riches of his grace. There's all this grace talk and it's greater than all of our sin. And you remember last week, there's no comparison between Jesus and Adam, right? Jesus is the greater Adam. He's the second Adam. There's no comparison between the two. His grace is greater than Adam's sin. And his grace is stronger and it wins and it's superior and it abounds from God to man. You get this sense that Paul, as he's finishing Romans 5, is just, he's just celebrating grace. Almost every single verse is all about grace. And you're just like, really? This is a lot of grace. I mean, how far does the grace of God go? Enter Romans 6. And in Romans 6, we see a question that pops up. Shall we keep sinning so that grace can keep abounding? Because you say that grace is greater than sin. So therefore, does that logically equal out to me sinning more so that God can keep pouring out his grace? Is that the question at hand, Paul? Are you just handing out grace? Well, here's the thing about grace. It's not a static idea. It is a dynamic force of God. That saves sinner and sanctifies saints. If you think that grace is some sort of thing that you say or some doctrine that you don't fully understand, but you use the word anyway, you are sorely mistaken. Grace is a dynamic force of God that saves the sinner and sanctifies the saint. What is the most powerful force on the earth today? Is it war in the Middle East? The headlines would want you to think that. Is it war in Ukraine? The headlines would also want you to think that. Is it all the crazy negative things that your phone can quickly look up for you? Is it all that stuff? Is that the power on the earth? No. Grace is the power of God on the earth today. Amen? There is no greater power than God reaching people by his grace. Here's an illustration. I was sitting with a guy in a coffee shop this week. And we were sitting there going back and forth, 
and he grew up very religious. He grew up Presbyterian and some, some Lutheran, and, and, but mostly Presbyterian. And you know what you got to ask Presbyterians, you know? Direct questions. Because <laughs> like, I'm a, I grew up Baptist, so I'm like, I got to ask you Presbyterians, when did you get saved, man? Because it's like first communion, second communion, confirmation, da 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 I'm like, dude, when'd you get saved? Can you imagine me asking somebody that question? Okay, you can. All right. That's fair. I said, dude, when'd you get saved? And he told me a very powerful story of how he met Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Years ago, he walked into a church service and at that church service, the pastor was preaching on Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. If anybody knocks on the door, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens that up to me, I will come in and have supper with him and he with me. And there was a picture of Jesus knocking on a door on the screens. And he looked at that picture and he listened to the sermon and grace hit him. Like at a thousand miles an hour, and it was in that moment that he trusted in Christ as his Savior. Cool story. But here's the power of grace. As he was sharing that story, he began to weep. And he started crying, which means I started crying, right? That's what grown men do in a coffee shop. Amen? Because it's the power of grace. And I got to share my testimony. Here's how I got saved. All of us Midwesterners are very similar. We all grow up religious. We all grow up going to church. We all grow up with a lot of religiosity, but then we go live like the devil and we go sin and we do all that stuff and we wreck our lives. And then the grace of God hits. And if you've been hit with the grace of God, you know it, right? Amen. You know it. It's grace because you don't deserve that eternal life. You don't deserve that forgiveness. You don't deserve Jesus saying yes to you. But that's how grace is. It hits in a moment. And you can't program that. You know, when do people get saved? When the preacher yells loud enough or gives a strong enough encouragement to come forward and believe in Jesus? Is that when people get saved? No. God drops his grace in the heart, mind, and soul of a sinner right when he wants to. And that changes people's lives. Amen? Grace is free. Grace is amazing. But in Romans 6, how do we understand this grace? How do we understand what it is and how it operates in our lives? What do we do with all this abundant grace, Paul? What do we do with all of it? There's so much of it. Well, we need to understand it. And I think that's my big idea this morning. God wants us to understand grace, particularly the grace of the gospel. God wants us to understand grace, particularly the grace of the gospel. And I'm going to give you three understandings that you have to have regarding this doctrine of grace in these verses. Understanding number one is this. Grace is not to be abused. Grace is not to be abused. Verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Grace is not to be abused. And like I said, the people are beginning to ask Paul. There's all this grace coming in. Someone should come to us and say, hey, so I, should I just keep going? Because uh, grace can keep abounding. Is this all like we should be free in our offer of grace? Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you Christians are so quick to judge and so quick to be judgmental about somebody else's salvation. How about you just give the grace of God, right? Right? Give the gospel of God 
in such a way that it's free. Now, too much of that, if it's all grace, no law, that's the other extreme here, that is to be avoided. I call that Elsa living, right? If you abuse grace, that's Elsa living. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I can't get through it. I'm a parent of five girls. I mean, I just, I got to sing it. That's Elsa living. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's, That's an abuse of grace. Now, that's called antinomianism. If you're taking notes on big words, that's what it is. Antinomianism, anti, against, namas, law, against law, right? Living with, there is no law, there is no law for me, all grace. No, 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 that's not how the Christian life is meant to be. One of my seminary professors, Myron Houghton, he was one of my favorites. I listened to him in many theological rooms pontificate about all these different doctrines. And he would talk about law and grace and how they work together and how you're supposed to live by grace and how the law isn't used in your life and all that. And he talked about this type of living, this abuse of grace kind of living. And he said, he said this quote is always funny to me every time. He said this, he said, people who live apart from the grace of God or the proper understanding of grace, antinomianism, they say something like this, free from the law, oh happy condition. Now I can sin with Jesus' permission, you know? And I always laughed at that because I'm like, that's a terrible way to live, but it's a funny quote, right? If you Live your life to say, I want that grace. I want Jesus. I want no hell. But I don't want to change my life at all. I don't want to be sanctified. I don't want to, I don't want to grow at all. You are an abuser. You're an abuser of grace. You're taking the grace of God and you're abusing it. This runs rampant in American culture today. There is so much abuse of grace happening in our culture, West Coast to East Coast to Midwest. Everybody thinks, well, you know, it's just God's grace will cover it. I don't really need to live a holy life. I don't need to be sanctified. Paul is saying emphatically, by no means, abusing grace is not the proper understanding of grace. In fact, false teaching and false teachers will tell you that you can just live by grace And just do whatever you want. Jude, in his little letter, verse 4, he said this. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not to be abused. You need to not abuse the grace of God you've been given. That's what 6.1 means. Second understanding you'd have to have is grace is not only not to be abused, but it is union with Christ. Grace is union with Christ. Verse 2 and 3. By no means how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Grace is union with Christ. Paul takes verse 2 and 4 
And he shows us that grace not only justifies, but also sanctifies the believer. Grace will justify you by faith through repentance. But it also does more, right? It sanctifies you in the here and now. And grace also glorifies you later on when you die and you go into heaven. You will go into heaven by grace. Amen? That same grace that saved you, sanctifies you, and takes you home. Now, grace does all of this. Sanctification, justification, glorification. That's called union with Christ. When you are saved, you are put in a union relationship with Jesus Christ, together with Christ. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to give you three words, and I'm going to explain them quickly, okay? Justification, sanctification, and glorification. When you are reached by the grace of God, you are justified when you put your faith in Christ, and justification means you are forgiven of the penalty of your sin. Amen? Amen. By repentance and faith, the penalty of the sin that you earned is forever taken care of by Jesus Christ. That's good. Sanctification is the ongoing process of growing more like Jesus. And sanctification saves you by grace from the power of sin. Any of you have those sins that you can't quite knock off yet? Amen. All right, that's everybody in here. We've got those little sins that just entangle us and they hold on to us. And we're just like, I want to get rid of those things. Grace is the way to get victory over those sins in your life sanctification, the power of sin is no longer on you through the power of grace. So grace sanctifies you. And grace brings glorification as well, which means to be saved from the presence of sin. This is what we're all looking forward to someday. When we die as Christians, we die in faith by the grace of God. And what meets us on the other side in heaven is the grace of God, which means God is there. Christ is there. All the other believers are there. Holiness is there. You know what's not there in heaven? Sin. And all God's people said, amen. Man, bring me that day. That is grace. Grace justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. Now in Romans 5, Paul has been talking about all this grace and we are in a union. We have been baptized into his death. What does that mean? The death, burial, and resurrection, we are buried with him and then we are risen with him to newness of life. That's what the passage says. What that means is this. When Jesus died, you died with him. When Jesus was buried, you were buried with him. When you put your faith in Christ. And when Jesus rose again, you arose with him to new life. This is the grace called union with Christ. You're with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're a believer, you're all in. Not half in. Can I get an amen? You're all in. To be genuinely converted to Christ means that you believe in him and you say, Jesus, I am all in. I am in union with you. Not 50%, not 75%, 100%. What does that mean? It means that there's no such thing as what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. This grace that saves, but you don't have to be sanctified. No, no, no. You go all in with Jesus. Here's what I mean. Think about this being in union with one another. In marriage, husbands and wives are in union with one another. Can I get a husband and wife? Amen. Like when you walked down that aisle and you said, I do, and you made those promises, that is a covenant relationship that brings you into union 
with one another. The two will become one flesh. Through the highs and the lows and the twists and the turns, marriage is meant to be a union together. Let's talk about kids real quick. Oh yeah, here we go. Kids. Parents, you are in union with kids whether you like them or not. You made them. You're in union with them. So kids represent not just people you're interested in. If you're a parent, kids represent you, right? You're in union with your kids. And you look at them and they do something really dumb or really sinful. You're like, that's probably how I look and how I sound. It's like a mirror that looks back at yourself, right? Which is super humbling. Because when your kid does something really sinful or really annoying or a habit that is sinful, you're like, I'm not in union with you. Yes, you are. Your kids are a reflection in a lot of ways of what is still sinful about you. You're in union. And finally, I have to bring my Iowa Hawkeyes in here. You knew I had to. I have to. Yesterday, I was at an athletic contest at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City with my brothers and my dad. It's my dad's birthday. What a cool birthday gift. Me and 70,000 of my black and gold friends, right? And we watch a horrific football game. I mean horrific. It is so embarrassing to be a Hawkeye fan. I wonder why I continue to put myself voluntarily through this amount of suffering. So we're watching this game. We don't deserve to win. And there's a game-changing play at the end of the game where the Hawkeyes win. Pure elation in the stadium for about a minute. The replay officials get involved. Very interesting that they would do that. Reverse the play. Hawkeyes lose. When they reverse the play, me and all my Hawkeye friends were fairly upset. (laughs) I heard words that I hadn't heard in a long time. But what was really crazy was the objects that people threw onto the field. I saw beer cans being thrown, water bottles being thrown, and I saw several of them hit Minnesota players. And I was like, aim left, hit their coach. Right over there, he's right there. Okay, very passionate. I've been to a lot of games at Kinnick. I have never seen that level of anger and that level of passion. You know what else you could use to define what I saw? Union. The Hawkeye fans were in union with their team, connected to the highs and the lows of what they were watching connected emotionally and physically and mentally to what was happening by a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds on a field. I want you to think through this. Does that make more sense? Union with Christ. Infinitely more important than a silly athletic contest. Your union with Jesus means that through faith and repentance, you are connected to Jesus Christ. 
You're connected to him through repentance and faith. That is grace, man. And that means you feel everything that Jesus feels because he's in you and you're in him and you're with him and he's with you. So therefore, through the highs and lows, you sense it. You know it. In the valleys of life, you feel a fellowship with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of his sufferings. In the highs, you feel the power of his resurrection. You feel this union with Christ. That's all grace. You never felt that before you became a Christian. You never knew that connection with Jesus before you became a follower. I'm just going to drop a couple verses on you. I want you to think them through. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the union language? Listen to Colossians 3, 2 and 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. God's grace is found in union with Christ, connection with Christ. And your union in Christ, if you're a new Christian, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Union with Christ, whatever. Dead, buried, resurrected. Okay. But if you've been a Christian for a while, you understand this. You know this. You know that connection you feel with Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. You know it. This is grace, God's grace. Finally, understanding number three is this. Grace is visualized in baptism. Not only in union with Jesus, but grace is visualized in baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Grace is visualized in baptism. The word baptism is referenced three times in this passage, and it clearly refers to water baptism. This is clearly water baptism in in, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Water baptism does not save the sinner. Hear me very clearly. Water baptism does not save the sinner, but it does connect the person, the believer, with an accurate view of justification, sanctification, and glorification. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Baptism is an outward evidence of an inward reality. When you get baptized, it's an outward evidence that you are with Jesus and Jesus is with you. Now, this is really intriguing, right? Because if you're truly saved and you're walking in an understanding of grace and you're understanding your union with Christ, then water baptism will be an absolute priority in your life. Because water baptism pictures or visualizes the gospel. Now, here's what I mean. We have two people getting baptized this morning. Brian, who just walked out, and Angeline. Angeline, you want to raise your hand right here? Okay, let's give it up for Angeline and for Brian. They're getting baptized after service in the student room. You can hear their testimonies. If you're feeling so led, go back there and listen and encourage and celebrate. 
But here's why water baptism is so important. It pictures the gospel in a way that is powerful and gives grace to the person and, and expresses the grace of God through the cross. What do I mean? I mean when Angeline and Brian stand in that baptismal tank here in a few minutes and they stand there, the burial of Christ. So I tried to go like backwards at 830 like this, like, okay. Like when they go under the water, and I'm just going to get down because I'm 42. This is ridiculous. So when they go down under the water and Angeline's here and she's wondering, is Pastor Rob going to bring me up or not? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I hope he does. But this is a picture, right, of Christ's death, his burial in the ground. And as Christ was raised three days later, so the baptism coming up out of the water pictures standing up to newness of life. Amen? That's good. That's why baptism matters. That's why if you're truly saved and you're understanding your union with Christ, immersion baptism is the clearest picture in the word for the gospel. And that's why we dunk people at living waters. Baptism as a believer is a holy moment of grace in which the inside union with Christ gets to be illustrated on the outside baptism in water. So baptism is leaving your old identity and embracing a new identity. Baptism is leaving your old worldly ways and embracing Jesus's way. Baptism, according to 1 Peter 3.21, is a punch in the face to Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness because it says that baptism is an appeal for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. You know there's an unseen realm out there, right? You understand that? So when we get baptized, we are telling Satan and the forces of darkness that run around in this world, we are Christ's and Christ is ours. And Satan can't say anything to that because Jesus is more powerful than Satan. He's more powerful than darkness. So baptism is saying, I'm on Jesus' team. It's putting on the Jesus jersey and wearing it around. And that's when we see God's grace in a church. A church is measured by baptisms and that baptism, right, is an evidence of God's grace working inside of the hearts of people. God at work at Living Waters is, is a number right now, 27 27. That's the number of baptisms God has brought our way this year. Amen? That's a praise to Jesus. 27 people have gone forward and said, I'm ready to claim what is already true inside, my union with Christ, and illustrate it as such. So baptism is where the grace of God is at work in a person, and grace is visualized in baptism. Paul explains how we understand grace, and I'm going to close now. Grace is not to be abused in your life. Do not abuse the grace of God that he has given you. For some of you, you need to repent and believe in Jesus and get saved for the first time. Some of you Christians need to say, I need to stop abusing this, this grace that God is giving me. Secondly, grace is union with Christ. And I'm, my prayer is that every Christian can grow in their knowledge of this union that they have, this connection with Jesus Christ. And finally, grace is visualized in baptism. And may some of you who need to get baptized, may you make that decision, right? To follow through. This is the mark. This is the distinguishing mark of grace that God is working in you. 
And if you already know Christ, thank God for your baptism and go celebrate other people who are getting baptized. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, this word grace is so loaded with meaning, so powerful, so special to us. And Lord, I pray for every person in here that they might receive your grace as the precious gift that it really is. Lord, may they not abuse it. May they not overlook it. But Lord, may you give us the grace to respond to it and take joy in it. And to realize that life is not really all about us. It's not about us at all. It's about your grace in us. And Lord, may we receive that today. May we take the next step in understanding our union with Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, may you move on some to get baptized the way Brian and Angeline will be in a few moments. Lord, would you work on the hearts of people that need to take that next step? Oh God, may your grace reach down to us now. We'll trust you for it. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to respond appropriately to that grace. Give us grace to do that even now. In Jesus' name. Amen.